Today is part two of our two-part mini-series within a series. We've been studying through the book of Colossians verse by verse. And last week we talked about as Christians that there are certain things we need to put off because they belong to our old selves, our old lives before Christ. Now the first group of five things to put off that we talked about were sexually related sins. And we don't need to just put these off. We need to put them to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness. The second group of five things that we talked about last week that we need to put off were relational sins. And these deal with what comes out of our mouths and how damaging they are to relationships. Anger, wrath, malice, gossip, and filthy language. And then Paul isolates one more thing for us to put off. And he does this, he puts this one all by itself. We had two groups of five that we just talked about, the sexual sins, then the relational sins, and now we've got one that's all by itself, and it's lying. We are not to lie to one another. That was all last week. Now that we've covered what we need to put off since our old selves died with Christ, we're now going to talk about what we need to put on since we have been raised with Christ through his resurrection from the dead. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin today in verse 11. As Paul transitions from what to put off and now into what to put on as Christ followers, he pauses to remind us in verse 11 of the importance of unity. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's point here is that there should no longer be any division among the members of the body of Christ. Division. That's the first word uh, in your blank there in your handout. There should be no division of any kind within the, the body of Christ. There should be no barriers, whether it's nationality, race, gender, education level, how much money you have, social status, what church you choose to worship at, nothing. As Christians, we should be unified in Christ. And we should be working to tear down any barriers that our enemy uses to drive wedges between people. And man, does he do a good job of that today. Always looking at driving wedges between people to create division. We've got to be on the lookout for that. As Christ followers, we should be building bridges, not putting up walls. The only distinguishable and noteworthy mark that we as Christ followers carry is Christ. Christ is all and in all. This means he is all that matters. And he lives on the inside of every believer. As Christ followers, we are to set our minds on things above. Which means no matter what we go through here on this earth, we have to keep our eyes on our all-sufficient Savior, Jesus. When we're depressed, we seek him as our joy. When we're discouraged, we seek him as our hope. When we're anxious, we seek Him as our peace. When we're running on empty, we seek Him as our fullness. When we lack understanding or knowledge, we seek Him as our wisdom. When we are in need, we seek Him as our provision. When we're feeling lonely, we seek Him as our love. When we're weak, we seek Him as our strength. When we're afraid, we seek Him as our courage. When we're being tempted, we seek Him as our way of escape. Whatever we lack, whatever we need, we seek Jesus. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we invite you here that you'd be in our midst and that you'd tune our minds to what we need to hear today. Last week we talked about what to put off. This week we're going to talk about what to put on. And I pray, Jesus, that you'd open our minds and our hearts and our ears that we can hear from you today. Help us to be focused. In Jesus' name, amen. When we're in Christ, there are to be no divisions among us. That's what Paul just told us. And since Christ is all that matters, he now lives on the inside of us. So Paul now moves from uh, where he was in our text and talking about Christ is all and in all. Now he's going to talk to us about what we need to put on. This comes in uh, verses 12 through 13 of chapter 3. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Paul first gives us the reason why we need to put these things on. He says we are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Because God chose us and set us apart and loves us, this becomes the basis for how we are to treat others. This helps us to have the right perspective because, let's face it, it's hard sometimes to kill our own selfishness and anger when we're dealing with difficult people. But it's a whole lot easier when we remember how God loves us and chose us despite how difficult or ugly we were in our own sins. We all should be incredibly grateful because if it weren't for God's compassion, we would all be in serious trouble. Our salvation is rooted in His compassion. And thank you, Jesus. So the way God has treated us is the basis for the way we should treat others. God chose to love us even though none of us were worthy of his love. So we should treat others the same way. Every one of these qualities that Paul mentions for us to put on, they are modeled through Jesus Christ. So let's first look at compassion. Compassion is when we see a need in other people and we give that concern weight. We value it so much that we're moved to do something about it. Compassion is more than just hoping someone gets their needs met. No, compassion is moving from hoping to helping. Compassion is mercy that takes action because we value the need. We value the person. Compassion gets involved. It's a deep desire not, to, not only to understand a person's situation, but to make a difference in helping that person. Compassion prompts us not to keep our distance, but to actually get involved and to get dirty if we have to in order to meet the need. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it was compassion that motivated the Samaritan to help the wounded traveler. In the story of the prodigal son, it was compassion that motivated the father to run to the son and welcome him back home. In Luke chapter 7, verse 13, when Jesus encountered a widow who had lost her only son, the word says that when he saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. He told the woman not to cry, and then he touched the coffin of her son, and he said to the young man, Get up. And the young man came back to life and was with his mother. Jesus felt for the woman in his heart, 
and then he took action. That's what you and I need to do. We need to feel in our heart for others and then take action to meet those needs. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus' disciples had a much different response when crowds of people showed up. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. But when the disciples saw them, they said what many of us might have said. It's getting late. Send them away. In other words, this is not a good time, Jesus. It's late. I'm tired. It's not convenient right now. Send them away. You see, when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. But when his disciples saw the same crowds, they didn't have compassion because they were too focused on their own need. Compassion stirs us to move past our own need to get involved in helping meet the needs of others. Next, we need to put on kindness. Kindness. Kindness is about being caring, considerate, and thoughtful towards others. It's about us being polite, helpful, and respectful. It's when we do something nice for someone without any strings attached or expectation that we're going to get anything in return. The life Jesus lived on this earth was characterized by kindness. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine essentially to save a bride and groom from embarrassment. In Luke chapter 5, we read of a leper who said to Jesus, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. And the man was instantly healed. That's kindness. That's kindness right there. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus heals a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit for 18 years. And then he goes on to rebuke the religious leaders of the day who had harassed him for healing on the Sabbath. He points out their hypocrisy for showing more kindness to their livestock than to this woman. And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 men of leprosy. The only one to come back and say thank you was a Samaritan. The other nine were very ungrateful and didn't come back. Yet Jesus was kind to them anyway. In John chapter 7 and 8, we read of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. In those days, adultery was punishable by being stoned to death. When the Pharisees brought the woman to Jesus, Jesus didn't condemn the woman. He didn't shame her for what she had done. He showed her tremendous kindness by simply saying to her, Go and sin no more. It's easy for you and I to slip into condemning other people when we see their sin. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is a great reminder for us all. Paul says here, You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you judge others. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? There's the purpose of his kindness right there. It's to turn us away from our sin. Thank the Lord for his kindness towards us. You and I need to reflect this same kindness towards others. As Christ followers, we must first put on compassion and kindness. And a third thing that we must put on 
is humility. When you and I are humble, we are the most like Jesus. Put that in your blank. Jesus. Humility is the defining characteristic of a true follower of Jesus. But humility is hard. Because our flesh doesn't naturally want to be humble. Our flesh desires to be right. In general, we like to get the last word. We don't like to admit when we're wrong. But when we're humble, the focus isn't on being right. The focus is on being righteous. It's not about being right. It's all about being righteous. So when we're in the wrong, humility will cause us to say, my bad, I'm sorry. Humility will listen versus being defensive. Humility will forgive when we're wronged. Humility understands that the world doesn't revolve around us. And humility puts the needs of others above our own. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each, each of you to the interest of others. So humility puts the needs of others above our own. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of humility that mankind has ever known when he humbled himself on the cross. And as a result, God the Father exalted him by giving him the name above every name. We can see this here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Paul says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the greatest act of humility in all of history. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he put aside his glory in heaven, and out of obedience to his Father, he humbled himself, taking on the form of a human servant, and he went to the cross for our salvation. By his death on the cross for our sins, he honored you and I more highly than he honored himself. That's humility in action. We need to put on compassion, kindness, and humility. The fourth thing we need to put on is gentleness. Gentleness. The King James Version renders this word as meekness. Now, there's not really one single word uh, in the English to translate the Greek word that's used here. One, one word doesn't really do it. But whether it's gentleness or meekness, it does not mean weakness. That's what really matters here. Gentleness or meekness, whichever word you use, does not mean weakness. The main idea is that gentleness, as it's used here, it really means having strength under control. Now, it's not the kind of strength that needs to show off and show off how strong it is. So let me illustrate it this way. Think of a strong war horse back in the days when horses were used in battle. In those days, a war horse was strong and powerful, but it was totally submissive to the warrior who rode him. 
This is the picture of someone who has put on gentleness. They are strong, but are not led by their own will. They are totally surrendered to God's will. And when we're surrendered to God's will, we are not abrasive or rude to people, which is the opposite of gentleness. We need to put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. The fifth thing we need to put on is patience. Patience. The Greek word for patience literally means long-tempered, long-suffering, or slow to anger. It's the opposite of you and I having a short fuse. Thank God that he doesn't have a short fuse, huh? Praise the Lord that he is patient with you and I. He's so patient, in fact, watch this. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, the Lord is patient with you and I, and we need to put on patience when dealing with other people. Now, the next thing that we need to put on is bearing with one another. This is very similar to patience. It's where we put up with people's weaknesses. We hold back. We show restraint. We tolerate. God bears with us, and it's best demonstrated through his grace for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that the just penalty for this is sin. Excuse me. <laughs> the just penalty for sin, it's death. Yeah, that's what it is right there. It's death. That's what we all deserve. But God has shown restraint, and he's bared with us by sending his son to serve as the just payment for our sins. We were deserving of death. But God bared with us by his grace through our faith so that we can live. And because of God's wonderful grace, you and I need to bear with one another. Now, the seventh thing that we need to put on is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, this is a tough one. And I wonder if Paul put it on this list, or put it last on this list, rather, on purpose. I wonder. You and I are not to hold grudges. We're not to hold on to bitterness and resentment. Have you noticed that many of these qualities that we've talked about putting on today are really only needed when we have a problem with someone? So we can't excuse ourselves by saying, hey, I treat that person right if they treat me right. You wouldn't need patience or to bear with one another or to forgive someone if everyone treated you right. No, as Christ followers, we are called to forgive because Jesus forgave us. We didn't, we didn't observe or, excuse me, we didn't deserve God's forgiveness. But yet he has freely given it to us through his son Jesus. And it came at a great cost. It cost Jesus his life. Since this was important enough for Jesus to lay down his life for, it should be important enough for us. Unfortunately, the culture that we live in screams just the opposite. Our culture will say, don't forgive others. They don't deserve it. Hold on to that grudge. Get your revenge. Make them pay for what they did. And then gossip to everyone around you about it. That's the world we live in. But God's standard for us when it comes to forgiveness is so much higher. He's not calling us to do something that he's not already done himself, even though we in no way ever deserved it. To forgive someone, it means that we release our resentment towards the person who committed the offense. We release our resentment. Now, to forgive, it also means that we release our rights to the offense. 
This means we let go of the offense. We stop dwelling on it. We stop bringing it up. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. If we keep dwelling on the offense, it just creates more division. Not only that, unforgiveness will hold us hostage and do us more harm. So when we forgive, it sets us free, regardless of what happens to the offender, whether they deserve it or not. The bottom line when we forgive, we reflect the very character of Jesus. Forgiveness is not based on the person who wronged us or how bad the offense was. Forgiveness is simply based on the forgiveness you and I receive from Jesus. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Now, in our text, Paul has given us seven qualities we need to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiveness. Now, in verse 14, he tells us to put on love. He says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Love is the perfect bond of unity. Love is what holds everything together. Now, last week we talked about what things we need to put off. And this week we're talking about what to put on. And think of it like this. It's like the clothes we wear. Last week was all about what dirty clothes we need to take off. And this week is about what clean clothes we need to put on. And now with love. That's like putting on a big, giant overcoat that covers over everything. It's what completes what we all need to be wearing as Christians. Now, it's interesting that God is love and that all of the qualities that Paul just told us that we need to put on are character qualities of Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is compassion, where we take action in meeting the needs of people. Love is not boastful or proud. In other words, love is humble. Love is not rude or demand its own way. In other words, love is gentle. Love bears all things and endures all things. In other words, love bears with one another. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love forgives one another. All seven of the qualities we talked about today are reflected in how the Bible defines love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, I love what verse 16 of our text says. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. This verse holds the key to everything we've talked about last week and this week because if we truly allow God's word to live within each of us, we will put off the old dirty clothes from the old man before we knew Christ and we'll put on the new clothes to reflect who we really are in Christ. Notice Paul's not just saying for us to let the word dwell within us, but to dwell richly among us. That's your last blank in your handout, richly. That word richly means abundantly, exceedingly, extravagantly. This means the word of God should be the central focus for how we are to live our lives. And the kind of relationship we have with his word is a direct correlation to how successful we are at putting off the old and putting on the new that we've been talking about. 
It's also a direct correlation to the kind of relationship we have with Jesus. We're not to just listen to the word. We're to actually do what it says. Letting the word of God dwell richly among us will drive us to be doers of the word. And that leads us to the last verse in our text for today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, every activity we engage in, every interaction we have with other people should all reflect Jesus. We not only represent him in the world we live in, we also are empowered by him. So whatever we do, whatever we say, must be done in the name of Jesus. Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, quote, Doing something in the name of Jesus is like authorizing a contract with his signature. You are to do everything under the authority of Jesus, making sure he approves of your actions. Jesus' name signed at the bottom of your day means his power is behind your life. You are to do all things with his reputation in mind. End quote. So we've got to ask ourselves before we speak or before we take action, will this bring glory to God? Will this honor the name of Jesus? As we go about doing everything in his name, we must also be giving thanks to God the Father through him, which simply means we have got to have an attitude of gratitude no matter the circumstances. Putting off the old and putting on the new is only possible through a relationship with Jesus. As that relationship grows, the dirty clothes of our past become easier to put off and the clean clothes that reflect the qualities of Jesus become easier to put on. So as holy and dearly loved children of God, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiveness. And above all of these, put on love. Because love is what binds everything together. Let's pray.